0: this is lex kibernetica the cyber law podcast by the hebrew university of
1: jerusalem lex kibernetica
0: the israeli elections are imminent and so are cyber threats to our very democracy that is just one of the subjects we'll be discussing here with our guest
1: dr Tehila schwartz Altura. i'm a fellow at the federman cyber security center cyber law program a senior fellow at the israel democracy institute where i'm heading the Um, Democracy in the Information Age program. What
0: are the threats to our um, coming elections?
1: Okay, so digital threats um, can actually come in three different or various ways. One of them, and maybe the simplest one, would be a cyber attack on election infrastructure. Think about a situation where uh, the computer system of the Central Elections Committee is going to be shut down for a couple of hours during elections day. Um, Someone can meddle with the uh, results or even like public trust uh, could be diminished if something like that happens. The second type of threat uh, could be uh, hacking into servers. It could be um, political parties' uh, servers or um, politicians or candidates. uh, Like what we've
0: seen in the United States with the Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton.
1: Exactly. And what we've seen in Germany um, maybe like two months ago uh, where a lot of private information about politicians was uh, um, actually hacked and, um, uh, and published. The third type of, uh, of threats, which is, I think, the most interesting and complicated one, is using technological techniques in order to manipulate public opinion. This could happen via social media, for example, with... Uh, Fake accounts, it could happen via uh, botnets, it could happen via um, micro targeting and the creation of uh, um, psychographic uh, private profiles of people and then targeting uh, specific messages uh, towards them. That could happen via, let's say, WhatsApp or text messages.
0: We're already seeing that in Israel.
1: Yes, absolutely. We've seen that um, even uh, during the 2015 election campaign in a more primitive way where Prime Minister Netanyahu actually sent uh, well-targeted text messages uh, saying that the Arabs are going to the polls by buses uh, during election day. Um, Some people even claim that that was the game changer of 2015 elections. Um, Absolutely, what we're going to see in this uh, upcoming campaign is a little bit more sophisticated way um, of this uh, campaign. Uh, We've seen that during last fall in the municipal elections in Israel, and we've started to seeing um, all different uh, ways of manipulating public opinion even recently. For example, um, about two weeks ago, we've seen meddling with Google uh, search engine uh, results where one of the uh, senior um, uh, politicians in Israel was um, uh, blamed uh, by a fake news uh, piece um, to be a Russian agent. Uh, And then when you started to look for his name, you could um, uh, get like a whole bunch of uh, uh, search results uh, connecting his name with being um, a spy, Um, We've seen botnets created by or operated by uh, uh, politicians. But what we've also seen in Israel, which makes it even more interesting, um, is a claim by the the head of the Israeli Shin Bet, the Israeli NSA, um, claiming that uh, foreign countries are trying to uh, meddle or to uh, get involved in Israeli elections via uh, cyber techniques. Um, the Israeli military censorship uh, actually uh, for, um, tried to forbid um, uh, saying which country it was or which uh, uh, a country originated this uh, kind of threat. Um, but it seems to me that this combination of foreign countries uh, meddling with elections and uh, local campaigns uh, trying to do the same thing makes it very, very hard to separate those two uh, uh, phenomena, as we actually have seen uh, during the election campaign uh, of two thousand and sixteen uh, in the United States. Um, the reason why it's it's important for me to emphasize um, the fact that it's so difficult to separate those two is the fact that if it's a foreign country, sometimes it seems that any um, uh, any uh, threat or any a technique used by a foreign country should be forbidden in Israel, and therefore all of Israeli um, uh, security agencies should get into action.
0: Maybe they are behind the scenes. Maybe they just don't want us and those entities to know what they're doing.
1: Yeah, but the thing is that when um when a security agency is getting into action, it doesn't have the checks and balances as let's say a civilian agency, like even the police. Um, they can monitor um, uh, citizens' uh, uh, political speech. They can monitor what, whatever we do on social media. That can create a, quite a chilling effect on political speech in Israel. Uh, those agencies are not transparent. They are subject directly to the prime minister, who is in election times in some kind of a conflict of interest, considering the fact that he's, he's one running of the, for prime minister. Exactly. He's one of the nominees. So in this sense, uh, we are in a quite a complicated situation here because, first of all, it's very difficult to differentiate between um, uh, foreign uh, in influence and local influence. Secondly, you need to decide which institution should be in charge of that.
0: And we have private companies who are not uh, eager to help with this, who are doing the least they can do to provide some kind of transparency, but really it's not in their business interests to, to get into politics and block users and point to um, specific parties that are doing this.
1: Well, I partially agree. First of all, we need to understand that both the, like, the biggest platforms like Google and, and Facebook and Twitter um are selling their services and all the eco- ecosystem around them are selling the same services both to the Russian government and to local campaigns here in Israel, just as we've seen in other uh, uh, countries. Uh, it doesn't actually matter if you pay for those services in dollars and shekels or in rubles, right? Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is that I think that the biggest, the bigger platforms are are trying to um, um, uh, to help Um, But they're doing the minimum they need. Um, For example, um, uh, Google has announced that it it will not sell um, um, advertisers or political advertisements um, um, that are tailor-made during election campaign in Israel, just as they did in Ireland a couple of months ago. Uh, Facebook, on the other hand, has announced that it would uh, supply uh, transparency tools for identifying Uh, political advertisement uh, um, uh, during the elections campaign. The thing is that if we are looking at um, foreign and local interference or meddling with our understanding of the political process, I think that is never happening by or via political advertisement. It happens uh, via, uh, let's say, uh, targeted uh, uh, WhatsApp messages and um uh, botnets as i said before and fake accounts And those pieces of uh, of content are never even marked as um as propaganda so um if we want to sum up i think what's what's happening in israel is is the fact that although we are considered to be startup nation our legal framework to deal with all those um um, with all those uh, uh, phenomena, um, is is non-existent, which makes it like a huge Wild West for uh, this coming uh, election campaign. Do you think we're
0: incapable of initiating such laws, or maybe the political parties don't have an interest in promoting such a law? One uh, when, when such law was struck down by, uh, by Netanyahu, and... Even if we go back to the spam law, the spam law uh, allows for political spam. Can we actually trust politicians to put limitations on themselves?
1: Well, in terms of political propaganda, um, Israeli laws have been quite strict, which means politicians have um, uh, put limitations upon themselves in the sense um, that they wanted to safeguard both equality and um, fairness in election campaigns it is true that that's the tragedy of political propaganda bills there we are they're of of high interest for all of us before elections and then like the day after the elections they're not of an interest for anyone um but i think it's a bigger circle here or we need a bigger or a wider perspective first of all we, we need to look at the um Uh, Political propaganda bills. And here it's very interesting because the law was enacted in 1959. It deals with um, political propaganda from aircraft or um, uh, stuff like that, but it does not even um, uh, remind us of anything that has to do with digital or with the Internet.
0: So we're still dealing with with pamphlets coming from the sky.
1: Exactly. Pamphlets coming from the sky, sometimes television and radio, but certainly nothing that has to do with the digital uh, uh, world. That's the first thing. The second thing is that our privacy laws are very outdated as well. Um, If we are trying to look for the elephant in the room, um, I think it would be like tailor-made, very highly targeted advertising. And what we've been seeing um, um, happening, I would say, in the commercial field, is now immigrating into the political sphere. And once you can use a lot of hypersensitive uh, private data and create, uh, so um, I would say, psychographic profiles of people, which refer, which refer to their refers to their, um, I would say, inner threats and inner. Um, uh, fears, fears, and 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 anxieties and stuff like that, and then you can target messages um, um, with regard to that and convince them either to go to vote or refrain from uh, voting. It could either uh, vote for someone or for a specific uh, uh, nominee and not for another. Uh, it could also. Um um be used to convince people uh in believing in specific ideas or widening um political uh, uh polarizations, just using the elections in order to widen um all kind of um of uh, uh political and social gaps once all when all those are happening, then um I think it seems to be a matter of privacy, not only of elections so
0: is there any responsibility on the end users, on us, the voters, the citizens, not to give out that information, not to partake in that radicalization of ideas of uh, of the political um, discourse?
1: That's an excellent question, actually, because um, I think that, for example, what we've seen in the GDPR and we've seen in other privacy bills um, in other countries um, is I try to strengthen our control over our personal data. Um, the thing is that leaving all this responsibility on our shoulders is sometimes misleading because we are surrounded by so many apps that are trying to ask for our permission in those blurred uh, uh, words, and we're, we're just giving it away. I think that what we need to understand regarding privacy is that it cannot be left alone uh, to to our responsibility, to uh, an individual responsibility. We it's, need it's to start. It's bigger,
0: bigger and stronger than us.
1: Yes, I think we need to see privacy or to perce- perceive privacy um, as a collective and social right, not only um, an individual right. Just as we've seen the freedom of expression, not only as my own. Uh, right to stand in the corner of the street and say whatever I want, but it's as something more collective, which is, let's say, um, a uh, pre-condition for the ability to exercise a proper democratic process. And for me, the right to privacy serves just the same role uh, or social role today, because if we um, give so much private uh, information and someone can, actually target messages and create some kind of convincing, maybe even uh, traps on our autonomy and convince us with ideas, um, then what is the story of democracy that we're telling ourselves?
0: And the bigger picture is cyber threats. There is a cyber law in Israel that is being discussed currently. What can you tell us about that, about what it's trying to fix and where it's getting things right and wrong?
1: Okay, so... Listen, a cyber attack attack has the power to paralyze, you know, cellular communication. Um, it could erase information in a computer system, like in a hospital. Uh, it could prevent access to computer service. Actually, it, it really can harm the economy and security. And Israel absolutely is ready for that. Um, I think I think um, uh, Israel has understood this quite a few years ago, and it created some kind of a Um, of a governmental body called the uh, uh, Israel National Cyber Directorate. Um, And uh, this uh, body actually includes the Israel Cyber Event Readiness Team, which is called the CERT, uh, as we've seen in other uh, 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 countries. The thing is that this is a a, a national security uh, body, uh, which up until now has been uh, functioning without a legal framework, but just under general governmental uh, uh, governmental uh, um, uh, authorities um, the uh, uh, cyber bill, as we've seen um, uh, up until now we we don't know exactly how it is going to be uh, crafted uh, uh, eventually um but uh, I think it's quite uh, it's quite uh, uh, disturbing because according to the uh, draft, the Israel National Cyber Directorate, which, as I said before, a division within the prime minister uh, uh, office, will be able to routinely collect data from Internet and cellular providers, from government ministries, from local authorities, from governmental uh, corporations corporation. So basically another spy agency. Exactly. This is going to be the, uh, uh, I would say, the widest spy um, uh, agency that has, has ever been created uh, in, in Israel. And it's all in order to identify uh, cyber attacks in uh, uh, in real time. So
0: maybe like security is often used as an excuse to widen the surveillance of uh, citizens. Uh, maybe this bill is also using that opportunity to allow the state to collect more information about us regardless of cyber attacks?
1: I agree. I think that the question is whether there's truly a need for all this information. You know, a record of all of our online activity and personal details and everything we've shared with government agencies. Do we really want all this to be collected in this uh, um, uh, in this way? Could this information maybe and potentially be used to create behavioral uh, Uh, profiles that could be used against us as uh,
0: could it be hacked like it has been uh, in in many other countries many, many times?
1: Absolutely. But even before it's hacked, I think the question is whether the state should have access to such far reaching information and what kind of uh, of threat this uh, actually constitutes to citizens uh, 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 privacy and human rights on a larger scale.
0: Are worried? Do you you see people, do you hear people uh, saying that they're worried about their privacy? Or is it uh, it something that's still not uh, widely uh, understood and accepted?
1: Um, I think, first of all, that um, we do see what we call the privacy paradox. On the one hand, when you ask people, do you care about your privacy? They would say, certainly, yes. And then when you ask them... um, can you give up some private details um, in return to you know three slices of pizza? They would say yes again. Um, so in this this sense, I think that as I said before, privacy should not be left um, only on the on the sh- like as a burden or as a responsibility on the shoulders of of citizens. Um, I also think that um, for example, what happened with the Cambridge Analytica. Um, a story um, has made some kind of an impact both broad and in Israel. People do care more about their privacy. Um, I think that in, in a sense, Cambridge Analytica was a little miracle because it now helps me as an activist to uh, try to convince decision makers and the general public um, to what extent, um, Influenced, let's say, before the elections could actually harm uh, the democratic process.
0: So from a philosophical, theoretical threat, it's a concrete threat to our uh, elections, to our, uh, we can actually see, we can actually feel what it can do to us.
1: Absolutely. So I was working, or I've been working during the past two, one and a half years, um, uh, in order to create a new privacy bill for Israel. It's a huge project, which I have completed uh, um, about a, a couple of weeks ago. I was leading a group of experts um, uh, in order to complete this, uh, uh, this mission. Now, the, my question as an activist, not as an academic now, is how do I um, make this uh, uh, legal proposal such an important legal proposal Uh, get implemented into israeli law and unfortunately my feeling is that i am going to need some kind of a catastrophe for this to happen it could be like hacking the biometric database of israel it could be uh something else which would um uh, kind of uh Um, a kind of wake up uh, Israeli public and Israeli decision makers. It could be something that would happen during the elections, like what happened in America at 2016. But it's very obvious for me um, that the right to privacy should be the queen of human rights of the digital age. Because as we see now, it's not only my own personal control over my data, but rather a precondition. Um, For the ability to exercise a democratic process, to exercise a society where my autonomy is actually under threat
0: so we're thinking about privacy and and how we use our social networks and how we give our um, um, credit card details but we have uh, kind of an enemy within we have the personal assistants on our android phones and smart speakers we have alexa on amazon and siri on apple and they really get a lot of intimate and private information about us because they help us all day long they know a lot of details about us what we do when we go to work, when we wake up, what do we like to eat, where we're going to travel, and they're collecting all that data, and uh, God knows what AI is doing with that.
1: Well, that's true. Um, I've been researching um, AI for the for the past couple of uh, of years, and um, I think that the intersection of privacy in, and AI is. Uh, really interesting from uh, two perspectives first of all yeah you're you're describing it quite well uh, those personal assistants are going to know a lot about us and they might create uh, traps on our autonomy uh, consider a situation where your personal assistant gets an email from your doctor because it actually reads all your emails and in the uh, Uh, This email, you can see the results of your last medical exams and those exams show that your sugar um, uh, rates in your blood are quite too high. Um, And then you ask your digital assistant to order dinner and it would say, um, "Okay, let's not order junk food today, but rather something healthier. And what if the digital assistant knows that knows that uh, every weekend you were going to the uh, let's say neighborhood bakery and you purchase some cakes there? Uh, should it block your credit card? Should it actually show you some kind of a very scary uh, photo, like on the cigarette boxes? Uh, should it actually go and uh, sell this information to your insurance company? So many hard questions. Um, for me, what is like the most important? Or interesting part here would actually be the ability to convince you um, to change or to nudge you to change your uh, um, uh, to, sh- to change your behavior. Because Which is
0: considered a good thing. We, we want our um, sports bracelet to tell us to to walk more because we we didn't walk enough. We want our um, smart assistant to tell us um, that we've had enough sugar for today. Exactly. This looks like something that could help us.
1: Exactly. So this is exactly what I'm um trying to research here? Where is the border uh, between something which is very uh, important and helpful for us? And where exactly is the uh, a place where um, we kind of leave our personal consideration or personal uh, conscience to, uh, to a machine to decide? Is
0: it easier for us to hear um, that we're overweight uh, from a machine uh, rather than from another person?
1: Yeah. And also, do we have the right that um, uh, like a, a human being would actually go over our personal data and not only uh, uh, machines? All those are very, very interesting uh, questions for me. But I want to elaborate here on a, a specific point, which I find interesting uh, with regard to, or in the context of privacy. Um, the uh, personal assistants are getting more and more um, person-like or human um, for example, if we take a, a look at the uh, the new Israeli invented Google duplex uh, system, which kind of imitates um, our, our way of talking by saying mm, mm, um, and, and inserting into sentences really human like uh, uh, propositions.
0: This is a, a software that answers the phone for you as a business um, and and. Talks to your clients.
1: Exactly. But it could be developed into our personal assistance systems. And it seems to me that that's the way the, the, uh, actually the industry is heading towards. Now, um, if we're talking about a personal, a digital personal assistant, which, should, uh, which is going to uh, accompany us wherever we go at home, in the shower, uh, maybe, you know, when we go to work and would actually know anything or everything about us. Uh, but not only that would talk to us in a very human-like way what we've seen in the internet up until now was a very interesting psychological phenomena called the online disinhibition effect which means that we act um, towards our machines as if they were actually machines that's why we allow ourselves to get to give so much personal information that's why we tend to Um, to talk in such an, I would say, unpolite way on social media, because sometimes we tend to forget that on the other side of the machine, there might be human beings. But what's going to happen when we feel towards the machine um, as if it would be a real human being? Because the machine interacts with us in a very human-like way. Um, My question is whether the classical meaning of privacy, which is the right to be left alone, is not going to get a new meaning all of a sudden because we're never going to feel alone. We're going to feel that this um, personal assistant, which for us is going to be almost human, is accompanying us wherever we go. So we are never going to be alone. That might have, you know, some good aspects to it. For example, when you talk about elderly people who feel lonely, but it might insert all, uh, you know, a new world of anxieties and 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 you know the um this ability to be left alone and have my personal bubble space is something so crucial to our psychological well being. Which world are we heading towards when we are developing those human-like personal assistants?
0: And it's as if uh, we as humans are working towards a world that would look like this. If somebody doesn't answer the phone or a messaging service right away, it's weird to us. It's like, why didn't you answer me? Why didn't you pick up the call? Why didn't you uh, reply to my email? And this is us policing ourselves, people policing people and making them Uh, Ever connected.
1: I I agree. And I think um, something really interesting is happening here. And this is, let's say, the biggest or the strongest mission that should be for uh, centers like um, the Cyber and Law Center um, at the Hebrew University. Because we've been witnessing two very major social revolutions and technological revolutions happening here. One of them is the connectivity revolution, which is the Internet. And the other one is the AI. Now, those two revolutions have been happening, let's say, in historical times, really almost at the same time. And we can now take some uh, uh, lessons from what was going on with the Internet revolution and elaborate them to the AI revolution. Uh, revolution. And for me, the most important thing is trying to identify um, the, let's say, industrial trends, where the industry is going towards and which social benefits or maybe uh, deficiencies are going to um, happen because of that. So one of them, for example, is privacy. The other one could be the black boxes problem and the fact that we might find ourselves as a society within, let's say, a decade with, um, let's say, a public service, which is full of um, um, intelligent machines that make decisions about our lives without being being able to explain uh, those uh, decisions, even though, let's say, they've been uh, uh, strengthening uh, social uh, biases and so and so forth. So in this sense, I think that our job now is to try to See where the industry is heading and um uh, uh, try to characterize the uh um the threats and and start talking about them now. I don't think we need to stop technology. I don't think we need to interfere with innovation, but we certainly have the um i would say the social duty to ask those questions and and see whether um uh, we can sometimes even uh, move the uh, uh, social uh, or the technological uh, innovation to, I would say, a better social uh, cause, not something that would benefit only, let's say, the biggest companies.
0: So can we expect that from Companies that are made up of engineers and uh, programmers and software developers who didn't necessarily study um, philosophy or uh, human sciences or anything that might teach them about the dangerous potential of their creations.
1: You know, I think one of the uh, most, um, I would say, common uh, claims in the industry today is that The ways technology is heading, it does not or cannot be dependent on regulation, but should um, rather be dependent on the self-moral or the self conscience of those developers and engineers. I beg to differ. I think that um, engineers and huge companies are getting instructions on what project to work on. Sometimes they can resign, sometimes they can... uh, say, I don't want to work on a a direction like that. But generally, if we're looking, let's say, from a more, I would say, political economic uh, perspective, regulation has a major, major role in the way technology is heading, in the way those big companies are exercising their uh, um, abilities to uh, shape society. And it, it doesn't always have to be. Um, uh, direct regulation. Sometimes the threat of regulation is enough for the companies to create self-regulation. But to leave all this uh, responsibility on the shoulders of programmers, um, of of second-level engineers, I think it's ridiculous.
0: But do you think regulation can really um, regulate blockchain and encryption and... Um Applications that are not in the official uh, Apple and Google stores, can't technology always uh, find a way, always circumvent uh, the regulation because um, of the nature of the uh, um, digital world and the cyber um, arena?
1: I don't think it's necessarily the uh, uh, nature of cyber or the nature of technology, but absolutely regulation would would always lag behind technology. It's also the fact that um, the way um, the media mediates technological issues and, and, and questions and stories sometimes, um, let's say, bias the way politicians are handling with that. Uh, we don't have enough interdisciplinary um, conversation between stakeholders. Sometimes we deal with only with populistic uh, um, uh, question and not with the core issues. And taking all this into advance, I think still that there is an important um, uh, role for regulation. First of all, because regulation... Um, uh, influences Main Street of technology and technological uses. Obviously, you're always going to have the darknet. You're always going to have the thieves. You're always going to have uh, those around the regulation. You're but always you're- going to
0: have uh, companies as big as Facebook and Google and Amazon that uh, will sometimes break the law or um, uh, put enough money into lobbyists and change the law.
1: This has happened before with, the, let's say, the aircraft in the industry, with the cigarettes industry, with the weapon industry, with the oil and gas industries. We've seen that before, but we've also seen um, the ability to create the New Deal in America. We've seen breaking the huge bell company into baby bells. We've seen society being able uh, to combat or maybe to cope with uh, what was considered to to become a major social threat. I think um, that 2018 and after that 2019, which is coming now, are going to show us some kind of a shift in the approach of governments uh, around the world or maybe sometimes uh, multi-government um, organizations, uh, which are going to start taking care of what is going on with social media. We understand now that what is going on in terms of hate speech, in terms of uh, fake news, in terms of threats to democracy by uh, polarizing societies to a level uh, which endangers us, all those issues need to be taken care of and obviously privacy. Um, So it took sometimes, you know, maybe one or two generations in order to um, in order to uh, cope with those questions, to understand the meaning and cope with them. Um, but uh, it kind of helped uh, eventually. So, regulation is not perfect, absolutely not. But sometimes, even the threat of regulation can create wonderful things.
0: Dr. Tehila Schwartz Altschuler, thank you very much.
1: It was a pleasure. This was Lex Kibernetica. Lex Kibernetica.
0: More episodes are available at the Hebrew University's Cybersecurity Research Center
1: site at csrcl.huji.ac.il.